Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We are live from Calabash Tea House <laughs> on uh, 7th Street in the Shaw neighborhood of Washington, D.C., uh, Northwest. Um, and if this is your first time here, you are now listening to the All the Fly Kids Show, where the cool, calm, and connected talk straight, no chaser. I am your host, Geronimo Nose, urban culture and lifestyle enthusiast, performed blogger, turned full-time interviewer. And as always, I got my co-host, super engineer, Backpack Matt here. What up, what up, what up? All right, and tell people where they can find us. Uh, yeah, just make sure, if you're listening to this podcast, that you've already found us, but make sure that you tell a friend. So, you know, make sure you spread the word. We're available on all platforms, so that's iTunes, that's SoundCloud, that's Stitcher, that's Google Play, and pretty much, basically, where any podcast can be heard. But make sure you give us those five-star ratings. We really appreciate that. And once again, you know, tell a friend. And I think you're going to enjoy the guests that we have today. Absolutely, absolutely. And even though we know we're, we're off-site outside of Full Service Radio this episode, you can always catch us live every Monday at 1 p.m. on fullserviceradio.org. Um, also, make sure that you subscribe to all the Fly Kids YouTube page. we got a lot of great content coming. Um, I got super videographer Ryan Gordon. He's all the way locked in. Ready to, to, to crank some things out, so just stay tuned for that. Make sure y'all subscribe. Tell them again what's already out, though. Uh, so we have, aside from some recap videos from the podcast, we also got our lifestyle travel series called Cool, Calm, and Connected. And um, what I did was over the summer, he and I we traveled around the city, hitting up a bunch of um, different spots, so I can show people like the best places and events to go to in the city through my eyes and perspective. Um, we get some real talk from a number of creators, entrepreneurs, um, just all making an impact on the city and in their communities. So, again, subscribe to the All The Fly Kids YouTube page. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, same thing, All The Fly Kids. And subscribe, rate, and comment on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, one final announcement before we get to our guest. Um, so... Last week, you heard us talking about the Sweet Nancy from Shaolin event that took place in Dire Stars Monday in D.C. Well, this week, coming up, if you're in New York, the Mecca in particular, that's Brooklyn for the uninitiated, you're going to have the New York edition of Sweet Nancy from Shaolin, that listener party. Um, and it's also, again, going to be brought to you by the good brother Shaolin Jazz, who were friends of the show we've had. We had them on a while back. Um, they hosted the DC event last week and it went off. Sweet Nancy from Shaolin, for those who didn't hear, is the fourth edition of the Shaolin Jazz line of music suites, each highlighting a specific jazz artist and fusing their music with Wu Tang acapellas. So, past tribute projects have featured artists such as Gil Scott Heron, Donald Byrd, and this one dedicated to the unsung and uncomfortable Nancy Wilson. Fusing with the razor sharp lyricism of Ghostface Killer and Wu Tang Clan. So, these guys have added an extra element this time to the BK event by including an artist exhibition called Sound Patterns. So, it's featuring um, a lot of work for some artists you should know, like Laurent Van Noten, Noble Drew Ali, Kristen C. Williams, Jose Martinez of Corinto Gallery. And our girl and another friend of the show, we're going to be a lot of people that's popping, Victoria Ford. Shout out to Vicky. So this one will be at Basquiat's Bottle in Bedstock. So it's going to be artists talking from 6 to 8 with the listening party going on until it's over after that. So these brothers don't disappoint with any of their events and music projects. So add this one to your to-do list. Like I said, if you're in New York, um, what is it, uh, Wednesday, no, Thursday. May 10th. So visit ShaolinJazz.com or ShaolinJazz on all social media for more info. Now to our guests. Let's go. So we here at All the Fly Kids, we are really big on education, be it formal, informal, in the streets, or at home, local or global. Education is necessary to not only be a productive member of society, but it also allows you to engage with and relate to people with experiences unlike your own. So our guest today 
I'm going to run down your, your, your resume real quick. <laughs> Talk to the people. Our guest today is a graduate of Cornell and has recently earned a master's in international education and development from Wharton, correct? No, the University of Pennsylvania. Okay. Wharton but is Wharton a is a school. Like at, at, so. at UPenn. Okay. Yeah. For, okay, again, for the uninitiated at UPenn. Anyway... She's done a lot of work as far going out as far as Johannesburg to aid teachers in learning the needs of students and how to best teach curriculum. Um, she's also the founder and creator in chief. I like that creator in chief of the Rain XY, a digital media company for women of color by women of color. She's got an ill group of women in that operation, so y'all go show some love for that. She's also recently published Sunny, a collection of poetry and prose about the ins and outs, ups and downs, and twists and turns of life and love. I kind of said she was still 23, so I can shout out a, a male line, you know. See, I'm only 23, and I'm the shit looking me. Yeah, I should I should have used that as a caption. I fucked up. But it's all good. You still, you still under 25, and you still the shit. That's pretty fucking dope. Amen. Nonetheless, family, I'd like to introduce Gabrielle Hickman to the All The Fly Kids show. I, need, I, I miss my, being in the studio because normally we'll get like the applause and right, the got applause, horns, all that. Gunshots, the yeah, all, yeah, we, got the, we got the soca horns and all that. Everything, yeah. everything. So, how you feeling today? I'm good. I'm jet lagged. I just got back from LA yesterday. Um, but other than that, I'm fantastic. Life is great. Life is great. At least you didn't come back to cold weather. Yeah, that would have really sucked. <laughs> that would have been really bad. You dropped sunny, and then now we're in the sunny 95 degrees mm-hmm. out here in DC. I think it's the perfect day for this interview. You're, you're all welcome. See, yeah, your gear matches the book. You brought that with you. Brought yeah. that, that sunny California weather back with you. But speaking of travel, right? You had alluded to Johannesburg, and I, I did some research on you and some old YouTube videos. I think you might have produced back in college. But you traveled to like over 25, 27 countries, right? Yeah, the number as it stands now is 28. I just hit my 28th last month. Wow, that's crazy. What was the last country? I was just in Portugal. Where? Portugal. Portugal? Okay. Yeah. Um, in Lisbon. And I had an overnight in Madrid, but I've already been to Spain, so that doesn't technically count. That's, that's, you just stuck on it. That's crazy. <laughs> five continents, right? Five out of seven. Yes. I need to, I'm really, I'm dying to get to Australia. Um, if I'm not, moving to Europe this fall. Um, my plan is to do Australia for my 25th birthday okay. next year. Um, and then Antarctica hopefully before 30. Okay. I got a random phone call from Antarctica the other day. I was like, huh? What? <laughs> What's that? I don't even know what their country is. Some marketers get creative with this shit. I had to meet it. I was just like... <laughs> So, so if I answer this phone call, that's gonna be the end of my life. They coming to get me. <laughs> so how is the feds how, is watching? How how is like travel shaped your identity, or how has your identity changed when you travel to these different countries? Like, because uh, Geronimo recently came back from a trip to, to Trinidad and yes. had like a lot of revelations and regards to identity. Your perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, one of the things that I was asking myself was, would I still have said it was a transformative experience for me, for me if I didn't have that that family connection there? You know, um, so my father's side, they're all from Trinidad. Um, I saw a couple relatives who I hadn't seen since the 80s, and I met even more who I never even knew existed. Um, tied that into just what I know about you know, how very different the world is outside of the United States, but having grown up in the U.S., and traveled to quite a few states in, in, in this country and been in a lot of different socioeconomic settings, but 
that was really unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm still processing. To Absolutely. The and I, I got back here in the middle of February. Yeah. You know? I remember from your YouTube video, you said something to the effect of, when I go overseas, they don't think, or they don't identify you as black first, they identify you as American. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's been my um, experience, which is so interesting because I feel like in America, um, I'm always black and not necessarily always American, you know, because there's just, there's so much tied up in being like a black or an African or an African American um, and all of the kind of the tensions of that history, right? And so when I go abroad, it's been fascinating because I feel like you and, you know, there's no way to know what other people, like, see in us, right? But, like, from my perceptions of it and my experiences, it very much feels like it's more of, oh, she's an American versus, oh, she's black. And it's fascinating, too, because it's, like, not something that I, um, like, parade around. You know, I try not to be, like, the ugly American person when I travel. Um, is this, does this even happen when you're in countries where it's not predominantly black? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, I, know, I, definitely, um, I definitely felt that. I definitely had that experience when I was in Trinidad. You know, of course, black people are majority there. But, right. you know, everybody knew I was an American. So it was like, oh, Geronimo from America. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, from the States. Um, in Europe, yes, definitely in, like, Asia and Southeast Asia. And they don't see a lot of black people. So, like, they don't see a lot of black people. And they might not even see a lot of... I don't know. Obviously, they don't see a lot of Americans. Um, but they they want to take a lot of pictures. Like, can you take a picture of you? Can I take a picture with you? Um, which is very different. Like, Europe, you know, they see Africans or black people. So, like, they, they're, I think, a bit more, like, used to, like, just darker skin hues. But in Southeast Asia, it was definitely, like, oh, you're black. Let's take a picture. In South America, um... They have they have black people there too, you know. I mean, black people are everywhere, but like Brazil has like one of the probably the, the largest, largest black population outside of I think even America. Um, what, so, what South American country had like the largest export or import Brazil. of slaves? It was Brazil. Right? Yep, Brazil. Um, so I think they're a lot more used to us there um, than they are in other places that I've been. But yeah, I mean, I feel like being an American always speaks more than being black, and that like. And I never sort of thought about that before I traveled or realized that, like, just the privilege of, like, having a passport. You know, I didn't ask to be born here. I didn't, like, I didn't do it. I just happened to be born in America. But, like, that speaks across, you know, all these different bounds. And another thing that's been interesting is, like, the schools that I've attended, people know my institution across, you know, I'll wear, like, just a t- like a Cornell t-shirt or a pen. Oh, my God. I'm like, how the fuck? Did- I'm in Malaysia. How do you know what Cornell is? Like, that's insane to me. Um, so some of those, those sort of two, two things speak often first before, you know, I can even sort of get to like who I am or what I'm about or whatever else. Speaking, speaking of like being able to spot the university and be like, oh shit, you know, Cornell, even like thousands of miles away. At Stanford, it was crazy because we would always see like people who, you know, flew in from international countries taking mad pictures of the university like I felt it was like some type of conspiracy to like steal all the secrets of the university and take it back to their country and like build up their own universities or something like that <laughs> it's just like every day they were just taking mad pictures so it's just interesting like the fascination for elite colleges yeah I mean I think that like whatever is new to us whatever we sort of don't innately have access to is always going to be fascinating and maybe not necessarily in the sense of like let me take from this and build myself up but just like yo damn I've never seen anything like this before 
or experienced it. And just general curiosity, not so yeah, much just general, right? Things like that. And that definitely happens. But I don't think that that's like always. Sometimes it's literally just. I'm just genuinely curious about this. Right, right, right. Well, I know you didn't always just go for, you know, vacations. It was very service-initiated kind of mm-hmm. service-based trips. Um, so I know your background is... Tell me more about your background, but to my understanding, is international development. And you have kind of, like, geared your life towards serving other yeah. people, at least during that, that portion. Of um, so my undergraduate degree is actually not all related to my master's. Um, it's it's um, industrial and bleh, I can't talk or remember it. It's industrial and labor relations, which is this weird like mod podge of HR, finance, business, law, um, any of those random things. Like in theory, um, my dad always says if you wanted to work in HR, you could go like Cornell with Cornell ILR or whatever else. You just don't want to. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. Um, and while I was at Cornell, I um, did a lot of like research and service learning and different experiences and programs um, that I was just I was fortunate enough to have the institution pay for, um, and that took me all over the world to different places, um, doing research, working with communities, working in communities. I'm trying to just better understand like what life looks like in different places, what questions people are thinking through and struggling with, um, and how you know we as like global I don't believe in global citizenship but like how we as just sort of citizens all over the place can be of use like with each other and I say with instead of two or four because like I truly believe in that like community aspect of of the work and so about my sophomore year junior year I realized that I probably should have been like a sociology or anthropology major but I was like well I can't transfer because it would take me an extra year my dad is not fucking with that he said four in four out you gotta go so I was like okay um, let me look into uh, master's programs in this in this field because in order to I was you know looking at jobs and I was like, okay in order to do this one I would need a master's anyway two I don't know like I know about it because of sort of segmented classes that I took and my research experiences but like I didn't do anything focused into into them um, so it's okay let me do a master's in international education development because that will give me the um, tools and I'll just the background to like be informed and the network is so important too yeah yeah to be around people who have leverage in the field you know, in relationships so that's incredible one thing you said uh, in one of your videos was that you learn um, to help people's lives the way that they want it to be helped, you know, using their context. And often, like, philanthropy, you know, in the States, how it's marketed is, like, this sexy thing in a way that, like, it's Americanized. Like, we know what's best for you, so we're going to do it this way. So you've actually been out in the field and touched the hands of these people in these different countries. So how has that shaped how you serve people within their context I mean I think it's literally just like starting with I I try to ask a lot of questions you know like what what do you what do you want why why am I here do I even have the right to be here do you even want me to be here like before it even gets to like this question of you know how can we sort of maybe work together to like better your life do you even want your life better like do you even want do you even 
want more you, than what you had at this very exactly. Moment. And if you and if you don't, cool. Like, and I, I think I try to be very wary of like pushing, you know, American or Western or even like you know global North global South, like Northern sort of ideas about like what life has to look like because who's to say that like we're doing it, you know, the right way. Um, yeah, you know, and like trying to, and I talk about this in my writing a lot too, like just starting from like the soul out and like the work out and it's like yeah maybe I won't have a job if you don't need me but like it's probably better if you don't anyway you know and I think like most people are in education or development or whatever so there's this concept of like working so that you no longer have a job and like that's cool and all but like maybe you didn't need to have a job in the first place um, and so I've been wrestling with that a lot even in my master's program and since leaving like sort of this question of you know, where do I have the right to engage? And with who do I have the right to engage Engage with? Both from the place of, like, seeking out opportunities, but also, like, who and what comes to me. And, like, you know, in studying international education and international development, I learned that there's there's still so much that, like, needs to be done for education and, and development in the U.S. And so, like, I... Um, I wrestle with, you know, should I be using my gifts and talents at home? Where it's like at least, you know, my country, you know, and some of the some of those ethical questions are not as as pressing or as heavy. You know that I'm not alone in some of the things that I thought coming back from Trinidad. Yeah. One one question I wanted to ask you real quick was on. Did you, do you find that in other countries they're more focused on socio-political concerns as opposed to say socio-economic? Like we're heavily focused on socio-economic. Yeah. Um, I think more than socio-political. I, I feel like I've found things to be sort of a mix of a mix of both, and it, and you know it. And maybe that's why some of the people that you've encountered, were just you, you may have met more people just like really want change or you know yeah I mean the most fascinating thing to me is and again this is like where being an American comes in abroad is like people are always like well you have Trump so like why you know how do you get to talk to us about anything you know and like like, that yeah and like that like you know I didn't vote for him but like that that matters and like who you know we as a country are what we present to be on the on the world stage like you can't just be like, oh, well, I'm an American and I have moral high ground. No, like, no, the fuck, we honestly don't. And so, you know, people are aware of that. People know that. And people, like, just, again, like, starting from empathy, but also, like, people will question, you know, why you're here and also, like, why you think you have the right to be because we're not any, like, American exceptionalism is a myth. Like, it do, I, don't, I don't believe that it exists. Right, right. Um, and so I think people are just as concerned with the same things. We just take up more airtime. Okay, that makes sense. Well, something else that you, I wanted to touch on too real quick. Um, earlier you had said that what you just said, this is something that you've been thinking about and you think about it quite a bit. Um, for your most recent blog post on your site, you wrote about um, being ready versus being prepared. Yes. And how you need one over the other. Yes. Um, just talk about being mentally prepared, um, being equally, if not more important than financially prepared to pursue ambitions. Ooh, okay. Of any type. And I'm not talking about entrepreneur. I'm talking about you could even work for a company. Yeah, absolutely. You know, There's no nine that. to five shaming here. Yeah. Um, being mentally prepared. Is, 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 is it more important 
is it equally or more important to be mentally prepared than financially prepared when pursuing ambitions? All right, so first of all, I'm going to acknowledge that I speak from a place of privilege okay. in this answer. Um, and I think in my personal experience, it's been more important for me to be, for me to be mentally prepared okay. because I have been able to find finances for things that I want to do not always from my parents like I've had a job since I was 16 you know I'm not like rich or anything but like there's always been money for me to do the things that I want to whether it was like family and friends helping me me getting a job um I worked two or three jobs all from Cornell actually or just like applying for different grants and scholarships and being fortunate enough to get them and so right and like just doing the work of like being prepared to then be ready to, to put my best foot forward and submit an application and like make network and make connections with different people who could like help me in those ways and so I think for me like being mentally prepared mattered more because I had to decide that I was going to do something and commit to it and like make it happen regardless of what obstacles you know money time resources whatever else stood in my way and if I hadn't have been mentally available for use or consideration to like bring in the definition of prepared like I wouldn't have been able to then financially set myself up to do um or pursue various things that I've wanted to so it's but again like you can't you can't have one without the other like you can't be prepared I mean you can't be ready without being prepared and I couldn't have done anything um financially if I hadn't have been mentally prepared but there's also been times where like financial opportunity comes through and then I can oh okay well sure I'll I'll do this. Why the fuck not? You know, so Make it's it work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a mix of the two for sure. Okay, so you had mentioned earlier about uh, you know the education climate abroad, but also here in the states. So, from my empirical experience, uh, working with supplemental programs and high schools here in DC, I've learned that the kids are extremely talented, extremely intelligent. Um, but, you know, the system, the education system lacks resources. And we can go into, that could be its own kind of episode. Yeah, sure could. That. But, um, but it's also outside of just the school premise. It's like, it's the neighborhoods. It's the family structure. It's yeah. Environmental factors. Environmental factors. Yeah. Uh, food, sustainability, uh, food deserts, not access to stuff that can keep them, you know, sharp. So, like, from your experience, actually being trained up in education, in education initiatives, what are some of the things that you can point out as, like, all right, this is a serious red flag for us? I mean, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head in that people always ask, like, is it race or is it class? It's both. Yes. And it like, like education is the same like education is the same thing. It's not separate from you know your race, your class, your socioeconomic or sociopolitical status, or where you live, or environment, your food, like your family. It's all intertwined. And I think that until the education system at large sort of comes to understand that things will continue to sort of exist and be um, the way that they are. And I also think that like. Um, so I was substitute teaching for the past three months for a first grade class um, in Virginia, and there was one black boy in my class, um, maybe like four total black students in the whole like first grade, and then there were other students of color, like Asians, Latin- Latinos, um, uh, two of my two of my little girls were Indians, and I was teaching them about like we were talking about MLK and segregation and all that stuff, and I was like, you know, back in the day I couldn't have been your teacher. And they were like, what? Like, no, we love you. That's so sad. And I was like, well, yeah, like I would have only been able to teach certain students. Who do you think I could have taught? What grade was this? First grade. 
Oh, so um, all they know is, is Barack Obama and then this guy. Right. But, like, <laughs> they understood what I was getting at. Okay. You know? And, like, it was very easy for... Actually, actually probably... It was probably one of my... One of the um, little, like... The, one of the little white boys. And he was like, well, you couldn't have taught me. And, like, I, I was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't have. But I realized in that experience that, like, being... Um, like black teachers matter. Yes. And like black black teachers, black educators, black principals, black like black superintendents, like like we matter in those spaces. And not even just for black students. Like I know that it mattered to my Latino like I can speak Spanish. So I would talk to my Latino students in Spanish and like they love that come in like all last year like every day. Yes, and yes, like yes. loved that. And like that like that matters, even though I'm not of the same like ethnicity or race as them, like being able to like communicate communicate and connect with them and like to like to understand what it is to be a person of color in America, even if we're not of the same, you know, total demographic, like that mattered for them. Um, and there was a little girl, so I have, I'm, I'm a natural, and I have like 4C kinky hair. Um, and there was a little girl in one of the other first grade classes. She would come in every day, and she had her hair in puffs, and it looked just like mine. And in the hallway, she would always stop and like just look at me extra long and like take me in, and it was like. Like seeing that, like that matters. That representation matters. Um, she's never seen another black woman with hair like hers. Not in a school setting, probably. Okay. No. Okay. Um, her teacher was white. She was. Her teacher was fantastic. The teachers at the school were great, but like they were white. Yeah. And so there's just different dynamics and things that come with that. And I think that until education, just like every other space, like gains an understanding of how interconnected just everything is, life is, um, stuff will continue to look like what it does, which often, you know, disadvantages people who are already most disadvantaged. See, I was fortunate because I I went to a, even though I went to public school, I went to a public school in Prince George's County. You know, being per capita the wealthiest African American majority county. One of my um, very good friends from Cornell grew up in PG County. Word, word. So, you know, middle school, elementary school, it was a little diverse, but mostly black. And my high school was pretty much 97% black. Uh, the faculty was like 80% black. You know, the principals were all, principal and the vice principals were all black. You know, black women, black men. My principal was a strong black woman who did not mess with. So I had a lot of experiences and run ins with. You know, black people growing up. I wanted to ask you what was life, you know, growing up in Ypsilanti, Michigan, yeah. but also what was your experience, you know, as a black woman at two prominent elite PWIs, predominantly white institutions? Yeah. Um, so, Ypsilanti. My mom was actually my principal. Wow. And where, where's Ypsilanti, Michigan, in, in relation to It's like Ypsilanti is 10 minutes from Ann Arbor, 30 minutes from Detroit. Okay. So I used to tell people that I'm from Ann Arbor because no one knows what Ypsilanti <laughs> is. And so if I say Ann Arbor, oh, you Vanda, so like that, just whatever. But like, I'm from Ypsilanti, born and raised. Um, and. Do we? I've, I've, I've met a lot of Michigan people out Interesting. Yes. It's a lot of Michigan grads, too, that love to come. To I think a lot I'm, of Ohio folks out here, too. I think I'm here more by circumstance than by choice, but I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Well, all right. How do you feel about the D.C. area in general and your experiences? I mean, D.C. is cool. I think if I'm picking an East Coast city, I'd probably pick Philly. 
Work. Just because for me it's a good mix of like big, big city and small town. Yeah. So it's yeah. Philly has Philly has soul. Still had a lot of soul, a lot of mom and pops establishments. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's it's a good mix of all of the things that I like about home with all of the benefits and privileges that I enjoy about being on the East Coast. So like I, Philly for me works. But um to get back to your question, Ypsilanti. So yeah, my mom was my principal from fourth to sixth grade. Before that, I had a black woman who you also you know didn't mess with principal and um i mean ipsy ipsy is like church was really big in my upbringing um and i like i don't know if we're southern baptist but it's like baptist black black baptist um and so it's always at church and then like three times a week yeah maybe even more than that yeah Yeah, like sunday for service saturday for mission two times during the week for like bible study study. uh choir rehearsal absolutely the little enrichment i was at church all of the time um and in that like there's both the religious stuff with it but it's also like my church was pretty much mostly black so i constantly saw for the most part like black professionals um, and like my family was very like i'm an only child me my mom and my dad but i never have felt like i am because even growing up like i was very much raised in like the, it takes a village to raise a child and so there are about three or four families from my church in michigan who like know, have known me before i was born like i'm still friends with like those like we grew up together yeah, we're still friends exactly um some of my best friends from the church yeah um like we will be in each other's weddings like people who have always been in my life and probably to some extent like always will be just because yeah, they always have this all in, this was completely not my experience yes yeah. i'm not an only child technically no, I'm not an only child, but technically I, I was the only child growing up in the house. My sister yeah. is much, much older than me, and my, I have two brothers um, that my father had while in Trinidad, who I just now meet. But right. that, that tribe, man, that, that, I had my friends yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I had, you know? I mean, but like, I wasn't related. These people are not my blood relatives. Right, right, right. But like... If my dad passed away, like one of my family friends before I got married, like I know who walked me down the aisle, and it would be like someone that I grew up with in Michigan, like from like who helped me learn how to ride a bike. Like I can go home and like um, take the garage doors up at any of these people's houses. Just walk in the house. Oh hey guys, I'm home. Walk to the fridge, get food. Like that's like it's like I spent as much time at their houses as I did in mine, and you know. Their fathers were engineers and lawyers and, you know, people in medicine and all these different things. And so I never had um, any inclination. And I didn't realize that this was such a privilege um, growing up that, like, I couldn't do or be whatever I wanted to because that wasn't the reality that was around me just by by, yeah I saw options and I think like I never wondered um, if I would go to college I always figured I would go to college and get a master's my parents both have master's degrees it wasn't it was never a question in their mind or mine you're going to college you're probably going to get a degree and even since I planted my PhD my dad still says hurry up because I want a daughter who's a doctor like I want you to have I want you to go beyond what we did and so um, a question I wanted to put out there especially you know you talk about growing up and going to going to public school in Peter County, as did I. 
you talk about. I didn't go to public schools for the record. Okay. I went to private Christian schools. Well, what I was, I, I, did, I did some time at a private Christian school too. I know I made, I just made that sound like that was prison. Just, <laughs> you I know, did, you know. Are we, are we sure that it wasn't? Kindergarten to third grade. Renaissance Christian Academy. I, National Christian yeah. Academy. Okay. Genesis, Agape, Washington. <laughs> kindergarten to third grade. But, um, and then my parents were like, we ain't got this money, so you about to go to a public school. Mm-hmm. I'm like, sure, I can wear my own clothes, great. Uh, but anyway, but you, Gabby, talk, also talk about um, just being very privileged to know, to be able to just have the thought that whatever I want, I can be, yeah. I can do. So, for me, going to school, I was in the, I was in the TAG program, Talented and Gifted, mm-hmm. from the time that... I entered public school all the way till I graduated high school. Yeah. Um, I was in science and technology program at Oxford High School for two years. Okay. And then I got a social life. I'm like, I'm over this shit. I, was, yeah. I actually talked my mother into letting me withdraw from that program. But I was still in the TAG program. I think about how even if I wasn't in the TAG program, how my education would have been different going to a public school in which is what what it still is a predominantly black county. Right. PG County. And knowing the challenges that I remember seeing that seeing friends of mine who weren't in tag, weren't in science and tech or all these other magnet special education yeah. programs. Um challenges they may have had or just the type of education that they got. You know, um with my with things have been different for me. I, I always say people, you know, magnet program, tag program saved my life. Yeah. You know, as a as a public school student, even though I went to school with a lot of black kids whose parents had way more money than my parents. Both my parents were blue collar, you know. Um so we didn't have well, there wasn't a whole lot, but they made a lot of sacrifices for me to do different things, but still just Looking at the, the, the levels, you know, a lot of my friends, their parents were like way above where my parents were, you know. From my experience, I realized because I did science and tech as well, I was in tech. My mom really fought for me to go through all these different programs, but that extra supplemental kind of education really helped me and others in those programs to get into college, yes. which kind of sucks because it's like, in retrospect, a lot of those same resources and, and, and courses could have been taught to the regular kids who were in the regular curriculum. Yeah. It's like, why is that not the standard? Right? They definitely could have, even thinking how my the, 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 the racial makeup of my classes was not predominantly black. You know, in southern PG County, you have a large population of Filipino people. Um, and at that time, when I was in school, there was an even there was still a large population of white people living in southern PG County, um, where I grew up. And that was represented in my classroom. Whereas, had I not been in any of those programs, my classes would have all been just all black kids. Yeah. You know, so I think that also speaks again to that whole, you know race, class, and how education is affected by all of that mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to get into, um, I don't know, what do you want to get into next? The, 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 the book or The Rain XY? I want to get, let's jump into The Rain XY. Okay. okay, okay. Well, I want to, I want to know basically what compelled you to turn creative expression into a business? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of prose that was on that's on this site mm-hmm. before you decided to write a book, you know. So the rain and sunny are actually not related. 
I'll clarify that. Okay. Um, there are pieces from that I previously wrote on the rain that are in Sunny, but like they're two separate endeavors, two right. separate LLCs, two separate like entities. Okay. Um, but still, there's still the general question overall, just what compels you to turn your creative expression into business, you know? Um, I think I realized that I could. Mm-hmm. There was a market for it. Um, and uh, I think there's a need for it. Maybe not. I think the internet is very saturated now, for better or for worse. Take, take that for what you will. Um, but in 2013, 2014, when like, I was sort of just starting the rain and even had been walking before that, I was hard-pressed to find representation of, like, my voice, my friend's voices, like, things that I was concerned about and thinking about talking about. I couldn't find them on the internet. Right. And maybe I just didn't do the work of looking for them, but, like, as far as I was concerned, they weren't there. And so it was like, well, I've always loved to write. If you ask my mom, she would tell you that I have been a writer my entire life. Like, my house and even my room is full of books and paper. Mm-hmm. Like, and even as people always buy me diaries and notebooks, like, I have, like, my, um like childhood diaries like in my nightstand in Michigan and it's so crazy to see the stuff that like I cared about or thought was important or stories that I wrote oh yeah yeah absolutely um but I think it was just like I can I have the resources to I have the time to and then it and then it became okay people are responding to this Mm -hmm. so both wanting to like do more and give you know, readers, whether they've been a reader from day one or just started reading yesterday more, mm-hmm. that's in terms of, like, online content, you know, audio content, video content, like, offline events, just wanting to get people more. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, recognizing that if I'm putting in so much work to it and if I want to have a team and all of this other stuff, like, there needs to be some sort of financial return because I want to be able to, like, pay... I want to be able to pay my team. Like, before I even ever take a check from myself, I want to be able to, like, pay them. Because yes. they're... Um, I actually just brought on an intern yesterday. Congratulations! Um, thank you. That's a level up. That's a that's a big achievement when you can Listen. bring an intern into a, into the fold of an organization in general. Yeah. Um, so I have nine writers, yes. two of whom also do social media, and then I have an intern. So I have a team of ten, um, and. I want to get to a place where, like, I can consistently pay them and offer them, you know, a monetary reward on their work. Um, And so that's sort of the mix and the balance between, like, commodifying my creativity. Because I I could, and also, like, I want there to be, you know, tangible benefits and and legacy for it for myself and for them and for just, like, women, black women, black people at large. Do you think you'd be... Would, do you think you would have been thinking that way about commodifying the business and, and just creative expression had you not studied business in any way? Um. So my dad will also say that I always sort of been entrepreneurial inclined. Okay. Um. So probably. Okay. Yeah. I think having taken a few business classes and I have a lot of friends who also like have who are in business school or went to business school and so I have a lot of people that I can like bounce ideas off of and just get insight into further stuff and so that helps but um yeah my 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 parents would say that I've always sort of been entrepreneurial and so I probably would have turned my talents there eventually another um yeah I do so one thing I really admire about your platform and, and a few other platforms but we're focusing on you is the use of the newsletter mm-hmm. right? for um, you know direct to um, supporter or consumer also consistent engagement right and, and kind of like a 
building a personal relationship with somebody. It's like, it kind of feels like as intimate we'll get in some respects yeah. sometimes with newsletters. So like, you know, we go to therainxy.com, the first thing that pops up is that modal window where you can, you know, sign into a newsletter. Yeah. You type, you go on one of the blogs or one of the links, you'll have an option to put your email address in for the newsletter on each article. Mm-hmm. So just tell me like how the newsletter has, what was your vision for it starting out? How has it changed? How has it grown? Like what are the benefits of it? Um, I think the benefits are, again, it's like direct to your consumer, direct to your reader, direct to anyone who's interested and signs up. Um, and so if Instagram, Twitter, any of these various social media sites go away, like there's, I mean, granted MailChimp could, MailChimp could go away too, like who I host it through, but like, um, I doubt that that's going anywhere. And so it, it provides like, you know, a little bit more of like security because you can still get your message and your content out without always having to go back to and rely on, um, you know, at the end of the day, social media sites and networks that are businesses and have their own goals and agendas in mind outside of what like I myself as a small business owner or like creator might, you know, want or need from them. So my follow-up question to that for somebody who has been itching or has always had the idea to start a newsletter but has fear that there won't be any real engagement or people won't sign No one will open it up. Nobody will even put their email address in to be on the list. Like, what were kind of the lessons learned when you first started out with the newsletter? Um, yeah, so I've only just gotten consistent with it, honestly, since last December, and the rain has existed since 2013, 2014. There wasn't even a newsletter at first. Um, I played around with it when I studied abroad in England, but I got frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to make it work. How and I was like, just like fuck this, I'm not doing it. Like, right. Whatever. Like, were you trying to like automate stuff? So, like, it wasn't even. It was. I was trying to get it so that like the articles would come into the newsletter like automatically, and then right. we could send that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just couldn't figure it out. Um, and so, sort of in, I think. Um, like the rain has grown so much even in the last year and so recognizing that and like you know I do a lot of market research into what other blogs and media companies and websites <laughs> it's funny that I still call the rain a blog yeah. even though it's like a whole it's a platform it's a platform it's a I, I it's made sure literally that I, when I actually referenced one of the uh, your most recent blog posts that I was just speaking about that part of yeah. the site not yeah. the entire site yeah, yeah it's funny because I did it in LA and a friend was like girl you have a team it's a media company stop saying that I was like yeah I did I was like as soon as you look at the page heard you digital media company yeah um, but so like recognizing that growth and just like where I wanted to continue to be, where I wanted to continue to go, you have to have a newsletter. And so it was just like, it's okay, I have to do it. Like I have to figure out a way that makes it work for me and for what I want the audience to see. And I'm always really big into like asking, like I ask, I do polls on Twitter, Instagram all the time. Like the fuck do you want from us? What do you want from me? What content do you want to see? What are you not getting from a newsletter? What would you want from a newsletter? What do you, where do you think the rain is best? What do you think the rain is best position to give you? Um, and then I try to do my best to just speak to that because like it's not about me and I don't and I don't want it you know I don't I don't want it to be the rain like anything else yeah like I would write if no one read it so it's just it's the love is still there yeah it's fortunate enough that anyone cares about what I say on the internet Um, but like the rain as an enterprise as a business as a media company for me is really just about like serving our demographic which is primarily black women and women of color um and not even like like creating space so like my team tells our stories but also like passing the mic like if i always tell people if you i tell my team this you want to write anything write it as long as it's 
not like egregiously off brand, I will publish it. Like I don't care. I tell people who want to pitch me, I'm open to whatever you want to see. Like if you um, want to be published or if like if that's a goal for you, send your work here. I'll edit it. I'll give you feedback, and we can get to a place where like we can put it out there because it's it's just it's not it's not about me. And I and I, I and I always want to be best serving best creating space for and best like giving space to people um who need it and who want it through through the site i what i've noticed and i could be off this is that so for one remember when charlamagne was talking about tommy loren last year and mm-hmm. he, like, he, he said that whole thing about like well black women should have you know create their own property. yeah i actually wrote an article about it oh word okay so i know i i can assume what she probably felt about that but like to combat that can you reference a few other digital platforms from black women that you rock with yeah absolutely um so i definitely have to shout out mara chans my good friend she um runs unique tribe which is a um it's online now but they've also done some it's they've also done some offline activations um that it's a community that aims to reignite the tribal spirit of community and women of color um and she's fantastic love her um oh my god i could there's so many like women that I like on Instagram just everywhere yeah. that like like Chastity Cooper um, uh, Brittany Wimbush she just, la- she just launched a candle line there's the girls room there's personally Rachel group um, like there's just there, I could go on and on on and on and on for days with yeah. like people who um, have been um, like people that I just followed online and then happened to meet in real life or like we would you know get together in real life so and like love, yeah. and have become like real friends and so I've noticed that about black women as it pertains to digital media platforms like oh my god wait sorry I have to shout out um, The Kitchen Table which is a Facebook group that my good friend Dwanisha uh, Evans does um, but yeah sorry yeah no for the listeners to, you know had to get that out you get intrigued with what you're talking about I say hey follow the whole tribe but that's one thing that I do I admire about black women in the digital media space it's like there's actual community yes uh, not just with and oh my god black creatives yeah. um the well space which is from crystal scott uh there's just i mean you're speaking you're i could speaking go about. on black creatives is melissa kimball like yes, i yes. could just i could go on and on and on like if i if i pulled up my twitter and i just scrolled i could tell you all these people's platforms and everything so that means follow her on twitter <laughs> Damn yeah, Twitter, or Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you wanna, and we'll, we'll include all that in the uh, in the show notes too, y'all. Um, I'm ahead. sorry, I cut you off though. I think you were kind of proving my point though. I didn't, you know, it's like you all are not, y'all don't have, you're not too proud to like show love to each other. Yeah, you're not too proud to be vulnerable with each other on, on your own platforms, and, and it's not an ego thing. And I, I feel like I sense that. When it comes to you know platforms run by you know by mostly male by men, it's not it's not that same type of energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, not, not it's so love. Much. So most of the time, yeah. it's not no hate, but it's just. There's something that I I, I want to reference. Another one of your blog posts. It was the one that you wrote. It's called "Crisis of Women's Life and Style Content," and two paragraphs that you wrote that really resonated with me. Me being the person who trolls for the objective people of the world is that um where you said nothing is one-sided and life is not always unicorns and rainbows but so much of the content for women I come across on the internet would lead one to believe it is 
Every piece has to have a happy or empowering ending where it gets criticizing women even if someone is flat out wrong or needs to have their ideas challenged. How can we pull people in with love instead of simply canceling them, which shouldn't mean avoiding tough conversations? I can tell well-rounded stories. How can we create space for narratives we may unknowingly be leaving out? How can we expand our ideas of what a woman is or isn't, does or doesn't do that, and then be creating that speaks across these arenas? Um, something I wanted to mention, it made me think about, are you familiar with Wanda Thompson? Not. Okay. Not so, off top. Okay. So she recently posted. Um, she wrote recently wrote an article um, called "Black Girls from the Hood Are the Real Trendsetters." Oh yes, her. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, she yes, saw yes, that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, you read that, Matt? Did you read no, that? I okay. I would shout out her platform as well. Yes. Um, um, amazing piece, amazing writer, and it. When I was reading that, it made me think about even when we're like against, we're against criticizing and all that. It's like I think it's also too. There's a whole swath of black women being left out of this conversation to get asked what they need. And you know, I think about one of my homegirls. You know, from the South Bronx, grew up. She had a pretty rough upbringing. You know, she is. A, you know. Great, she managed to grow into a great, amazing woman today. But just even her connection to that environment, still, you know, I have conversations with her about feminism and things like that. And I'm just asking myself, well, how many people exist who are either still in those environments or who are from those environments who can code switch and be able to have these conversations and find out, well, what are, how is feminism affecting women in the hood? You know, yeah. you know, women from economic, economic disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, but, or is it even something that's a concern for them because of all the other elements and things they have to consider? Yeah. You know, I just, I would like to see, and I, even for men too, I would like for more of us who have the knowledge and who aren't afraid of black people to go and have these conversations to find out what is it that y'all need? What is, a, what is stopping you from, you know, being live, living a better life, being a better person as you may want to be, you know, as opposed to just doing this top down thing like, well, if you change everybody up top, right. that'll be the social cue. Because you can think too, okay, well, if, you're, if you see people in the ivory tower acting a certain way, then people will follow suit. But I believe in working from the root. Yeah. You know, and going that way, you know. So that's just my thoughts on that. But I, I really like what you said that because um we have we have to get away from this cancel culture. I mean, just so quick, like oh, you out of here. It's just like that's the thing. What happens? You know, Who you are definitely West Indian, Mr. Dag? I heard, I heard that. I heard that. No, you don't want to miss that. Kanye's always talking about leading with love. Oh God! Right, which is like let's just focus, totally let's, let's focus on the leading with love. Let's not focus on on that more than everything but else the whole right notion now. Okay. That all we need is love. Like, when you hear that, I'm sure you've heard interviews and saw the tweets. What triggers you? What, what do you agree with it? You know, disagree? Is there like uh, maybe footnotes to some of the things that you agree with? I think there's. I think there has to be nuance to that. Like, yes, we should like lead and live yes. with love but like I think like I said everything is not love and light and everyone wants love to be light all the time and it's not right and I think that like we love is true love is honest yeah love like sometimes sometimes love hurts like hell but like we don't portray all of that all of that you know those sides of it and I think that like 
we need to have well-rounded conversations and we need to have conversations with people that we know we're leaving out and conversations with people who tell us that we're leaving them out yes. to figure out first of all why we left them out yes. and then what can we do to like work together or bring each other in or whatever else like I you know I think I think that love we don't have to say that love doesn't matter like I wrote a whole book about love but like there ha- there has to be nuance to the conversation and I think that that's what we lack in this culture in mean, cancel culture and in like love and light yeah. culture too. What about ain't shit culture? Like uh, oh niggas ain't shit. Ain't Y'all aren't. Shit. Like well, let me finish it out. The men are trash. Y'all uh, are. <laughs> what are the what are the, what are the like is in that same kind of thing? Yeah. So one thing about that that culture, right? When I look at the tweets, I will deep dive into like the threads to see what the reactions are, like whether it's like the kudos sis you know, from from women or like. The always lame response from dudes, usually. And so, I don't want to, like... Shout out to from Matt for uh, reading the comments. Yeah. And right? Then, well, generally, like... I read them, too. And then, like, I will... But I also understand that the conversation... It's not really a conversation that happens on social media. It doesn't always happen in real life. Yeah. So, I've tried to... You know, I actually have talked to a lot of my, my women friends to ask them, like, yo, why are niggas trash? Like... Can we can we debate this? Is there something that like you know that we can actually have discourse so that there's a takeaway or something? Yeah. Change? From your views, I mean, because you stamp that men are trash and niggas ain't shit. Yes. What are some things that we can do to at least move the needle in a more positive position than where we are right now? And is there anything other than just biology? That still moves women to even want to be bothered, knowing that. <laughs> because usually it's like, because that question pops up on Twitter, people, like, I don't even understand, if, you know, why, why we deal with y'all. The same yeah. people who have, who say niggas ain't shit or men are trash, you know, they have, you know. Oh my god, I love black men as husbands, you know. So there is. I love black men. Yeah. I love, I love black men. I always have, I always will. You guys are still trash, but I love y'all. Mm-hmm. Like y'all still ain't shit, but I love y'all. And I think that like being a being a black woman is such an interesting thing because like we have that in common, black. But then we have different, you know. Um, I don't even want to say gender because gender is a social construct to some degree. But like, we have different, um, we have different ways that we present in the world. Yes. Like biologically and like with that, like like sexually. Yes. That that's the word. Sex like we have different sexual ways of presenting in the world versus like me saying gender. Um and but I think that like where that gets tricky is black men seem to always want black women to one do work for them, labor for them, emotional labor, sometimes it's physical labor in terms of like having your children, cleaning your house, like do you know, all of those things like you need to submit to your man. Make my plate. Domestic and retweeted something about that, like with this, yo, we need to call in the black women to help fix this situation. And then like the the response is like, why the fuck do we need to Yeah why do we need to clean up your mess? Hug him your fucking self. Like but but the thing is like people only seem not people. Well yeah people. People only really want um, black women around when we were doing for them. 
in, in, a, in a lot of cases. I won't, I, you know, I won't completely generalize that that's true all of the time. But like that tweet is an example of even the last election, Hillary, or you know, just any, whatever, anything that goes wrong. Oh, let a black woman fix it. Let a black woman run this, run that. But like you didn't want me running your company or you know winning for political office or voting if you didn't think I was gonna save your ass. My job is not. Got kept a pedophile from taking office. Who was it? Alabama. Yes. Yes. Like that's but like that whole campaign on that. Why? Ninety-eight percent of black women. Yes. Why? But like two percent of black men. But yes. Okay, but there's a six percent different there, and I need and I need to know about the six percent of y'all that was like on the, you know what I mean? And so I think that like the the reason why you get those like tweets or those comments is both because of like I think the literal tangible hurts that people have felt in their relationships with black men um, across you know sw- like swaths of their life, but then there's also a lot of ways in which like patriarchy benefits y'all, and y'all don't want to acknowledge that, particularly like cis like cis. Um, you know, black men, like, y'all don't want to acknowledge that being, you know, a woman, being gay, bi, um, a lesbian, being, like, being trans, like, those are all things that impact how you present in the world in a different way than just being a black man. And so I can't... feminine identified as well as anybody that identifies as a woman. Right. And so it's like, I can't, I can't ignore that for your benefit, Mm -hmm. but we're often asked to. Um, and to like put the team on our back but then it's like when we need y'all to do the same thing no niggas are like still standing for you know R. Kelly and like all of these different things and he's been you know hurting black women and girls for how long and it's like oh but we still play him at the, we're still gonna play him at the cookout though but like you know what I mean if that like like we are literally this is what I'm saying but like black women are literally always on the front lines fighting for rights that y'all don't even know that y'all want to get that and and I don't know and, and I think with that like the whole love black women pay black women support black women like I don't need to see you tweet about it just do it like that's cool and all that's great oh my god black women have a great day today thank you but like just like do it alright so also, when I look at these tweets, because, like, the first thing I do I, when I wake up in the morning, not, not really, but sometimes I'll type in black men in Twitter just to see what the state of the uh, the game is. And it's usually the same. It's, it's like, niggas ain't shit and mugshots. You know some tweets going to come up in yeah. my timelines, you know. But, <laughs> if, okay, this might be a dumb question, but okay. I feel like it needs to be asked. If men are trash, if black men are trash, if this if cisgendered, heterosexual black men are trash, why is it that black women still love and ride for you? Not for you to speak on behalf of the black woman. And that's why I asked that question about a biological compulsion. Right. Why have you all, you know, because men are trash and it sounds like, fuck the niggas, we've given up on it, but your actions show that. Yeah. Um, y'all haven't given up on it. Yeah. So what, what I'm is a, that? Maybe we're all masochists. I don't know. I mean, I, like... Oh. My the best man in my life is my father. He's a black man. Um, and I think that like, oh God, who said it? You have an epiphany? No, I'm trying to quote a, a black feminist. I believe it was Anna Julia Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, and I'm gonna paraphrase it terribly, but it's essentially this notion of like when and where I enter, and this idea that like when the black woman is free, everyone will be free. So it's not even necessarily that we're like fighting for you guys all the time, 
but it's like by proxy yeah like sometimes we're fighting for ourselves and y'all just benefit you know or we're hoping that like y'all will get us right back and like that we can sort of work towards this mutual this mutual liberation okay because when i think other black like lots of you know, black feminists, wow, it's how articulate it is, but like this idea that literally like when the black woman is free as the most underserved, underrepresented, under-resourced, under-privileged, just like the most disrespected person in America is a black woman. When we are free, every the, the circumstances will have been created for everyone else to be. And I think a lot of black women that I know are working towards that. And if y'all happen to benefit, cool. But like, I don't know... I, I know very few black women who would say like and I wouldn't even say that like like my work is a, like primarily about black black women. There are men who read the rain and that's cool, that's great, but like I'm doing this for us. Right, right, right. And if y'all have like that's cool, that's great, but that's, like I don't know I, I don't know a few black people who would I mean few black women who would say like yes we love y'all but like I don't I don't know that you're like the focus of like our I mean yeah, of our work I, I, anymore. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I don't know that you deserve to be. So so you brought up a point about, you know, y'all do this work, y'all fighting for yourselves, and also, you, you know, you're thinking that, you know, black men will get y'all right back. Mm-hmm. Collectively speaking, can black men just, are, are we even capable collectively to get y'all back? You know, you think about a lot, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's one faction of the black community um, that is very um I'm I actually I'm actually part of I'm actually believe I actually believe a lot of these ideals in terms of just you know focusing more on just you know self-reliance counter yeah. things like that. Um but there's a there's a there's a faction of the black community that's like yo we need to focus in and get ourselves right before we can even worry about how other people perceive us. There's a lot of black people there's a lot of there's a lot of black men who are just broken in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. So, not excusing behavior, but just realistically speaking, without us I think, even I, I think doing that, the work on, on ourselves, right. without hearing the, even because I think too. But that's what. But you're getting to exactly what the problem is, or what the what the difference okay, is. Okay. Black women, we do the work. Right. And this this is not even about like race. If you think about relationships, right? After marriage ends, women usually take time to heal we take time to ourselves we take time to process y'all will go and like you know rebound very quickly and then months later be be deep in some shit and realize oh my god i still love her oh my god and then then you've created this woman who now doesn't trust men you know what i mean so i think like that extends that sort of dynamic of like women taking the time to process and think and like understand where they're coming from and what things are about and do the work for themselves extends beyond you know just like love and relationships it extends into just the work like the political work the education work the social the socioeconomic work and I don't know that black men in general are doing that same work and there's and there's lots of reasons why and like I, I get that I don't necessarily fault you for it but like that's just what the difference is. Is that a, is that is for just in men in general? Is that a, is that a biological flaw that that we possess? I have no clue. I'm not a scientist, <laughs> and I and I'm not God. I didn't make y'all. I I have no clue. Is it, but it I is just, it is I, a, it I is a difference. I wonder if it's biological or sociological. You know what I mean? That I, I mean again, everything is connected. Yeah. So like, there are lots of ways that like like you you all condition differently than women are. Right. Right. Especially how to deal with trauma. 
to yeah. deal with discomfort. Being allowed to deal with it. Yeah. I know? was thinking about this in my classroom, actually. Um, so my kids were like five, six, and seven. And the boys still cry. And I was like, well, you know, I hope that they don't ever lose the ability to like, express who and how they are and how they feel and whatever else. And I think about like people that I've been in relationships with. And I've probably only seen two of them cry. And one of them, but like two of them cry and then probably like not, you know, be able to like be comforted or like, you know, taken care of or like wanting to like, like wanting to then talk about it afterwards. It's like wall shut down. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go over here. You're going to be over there and we're going to pretend like this never happened. Yeah. Um, even though we were both there. And I'm like, I was probably crying too. It's cool. But like, there are just a lot of, you know, socio um, reasons why that's not okay. And that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. I mean, even just thinking about my own, condo- my own conditioning and just who I am. So on top of just any societal conditioning into how I express and deal with my emotions, um, even positive, even positive emotions sometimes. I'm also very cerebral, mm-hmm. and so for me, I have to tell my, I have to tell myself, you don't always have to think of the rational response yeah. to stuff. You can, you can be subjective. There are things I'm subjective about, but I can honestly say I'm not subjective about as many things as other people are. You know, because it's just, I just want to make sure I'm always giving the rational, logical. I mean, response. I think I think like something that's so interesting in being a person who's often in relationships with men, black men in particular, is like, say I'm having a bad day and I want to talk about it. I don't necessarily need you to like tell me how to fix it or like right. you know, but like that's where y'all go, and right, it's right. not. There's nothing wrong with it. That's just the sort of innate response I've generally found. Whereas I probably just wanted you to say like, it's okay, babe, it'll be fine. Like just like to hear me. Well, you know, you could do this. Yeah, you know. Ask you questions for like more context. Tell me more. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Um, this happened when this happened. I'm fully engaged. Just you know, spill it all out. This is why. This is why. Like usually, y'all don't like our recommendations anyway. Yeah. I gave up on giving solutions. Yeah. I don't be listening. I be doing what I want anyway. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's biological, but it's, it's a thing. I'm gonna do some research on that. This is the stuff that I think about when I'm at out in the world talking to people. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good time to get into the book. Yeah, I think it's perfect. All right, so, again, first book. Yes. Definitely not your last, I'm sure. You'll probably be writing about <laughs> everyone, a multitude of different things it's so over time. Funny because everyone keeps saying that, like, Gabrielle's debut book, Gabby's, debut, Gabby's first, so, like, when's the sequel? When's, and I'm like... I was like, maybe this was my only offering. I mean, yeah, um, well, you, or you, like I said, you could write about something else. It might not even be a poetry book, you know what I mean? It might be something completely different. Does it record even when yeah. the screen isn't up? Yeah, it's a, it's oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. You had, um, bro, some, yeah. So, I want you to tell me about, from your, you know, from your voice, what this book is about, but, okay. you know, you reference, you say to everyone, especially the girls everywhere, chasing the sun. You know, obviously the name of your book is Sunny. So give me the deep dive, or just a brief synopsis on what this book is about to you, and what the sun is, and what that means to you. Good, deep, you know? You guys, just phenomenal questions. Thank you. I, I just want to say, too, I, I just got the book today, so I'm, I'm playing catch-up. I read it all, so we're good. <laughs> so he, he, he did the rain, XY, I did the book. <laughs> Tag team. Um, okay, so you said that you want me to tell you what Sunny is to me and what yeah. the sun is to me. What is the sun to you? Um. Oh God. 
much. <laughs> so, Sunny, like the, the, the physical sort of book that you're holding in your hands, um, is, the man- is the physical manifestation of my heart over the past six in theory but really two years um like the the the, just the physical manifestation of that in the written the written word that's what the book like that's the best way for me like that's what the book is um it was me processing my shit like relationships um myself why I am the way that I am in life and love like that's sort of what what sunny is um and what the sun is for me um I think I said this in a Twitter chat a few days ago, but like, it's, and I'm, so I'm taking a long time to answer, um, but, or chasing the sun actually probably wouldn't look like what you thought it was. It was a lot of tears and anger and like denial and um, trying to forgive myself and trying to forgive other people and being hurt and feeling really alone and you know not knowing if I would sort of ever make it out of what I was in um but also sort of believing that like there had to be more than what there was and that I was that I was worthy of of more than what I had been experiencing and so chasing the sun is sort of the pursuit of the good that I choose to believe is in the world, but in a way that um, sort of begins and ends with me instead of someone else. I will say that I, I love the book. I loved all the poems. I thought it was dope. We'll, we'll dive into the reasons and some of the questions and whatnot, but because I could relate to it. I'm on it. Yeah, sure. I could relate to it from both sides. I, I actually think that men would get a lot from reading it. I did. Like, I was like, you know, it, it was. I think it was dope just to hear from a woman's perspective as well. And, you know, the little details in terms of, you know, souvenirs and T-shirts and stuff. And I'm not going to say too much about what's in the, the book because I want people to go out and buy it. Yeah. But, yeah, I just will say, like, it, the, the rise and fall and ebbs and flows that come with love and relationships... There's lots of um, double entendres too. Yes, so that was in my notes, even though we're using my phone now. I, what I what I fucked with was the fact that you used so many entendres. You had used a lot of homophones and a lot of wordplay in the poetry, which automatically triggers rap for me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I'm not a poetry reader first. I'm a, I love rap. I love hip hop. So one of the personal questions I had was, you know, besides just poets, like. What, what artists, what like uh, hip-hop artists or spoken word artists really influence you in terms of your writing mm. and wordplay and like because the stuff that you write is very visual like I can I, it automatically triggers in my head so. yeah so I will say two things one I used to play the piano okay. so people who have read the book and read my work in general have said that there's a rhythm to it, it. Um, which is funny because when I write I'm usually listening to music so I'm sure that it's a mix of that um, but like I think a lot about um, so my, my parents are older and I keep coming back to them but like my parents are older and so as a kid I was really sheltered but like I would listen to old school, old school music with my dad um, what, what did he put you on to like what were some of the artists Anita Baker okay. Luther Vandross yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we consider Alicia Keys old school but like I used to listen to um, the diary of Alicia Keys growing up constantly classic. like constantly um, my favorite song is Can I Take You Out Take You Out Tonight by Luther Vandross um, so like people or artists I should say like that have a big influence on um, 
my work, my writing, and, and my rhythms, and I guess how I present my words, my words to the world. So I know um, we ordered two books because we wanted to actually act in support, and I imagine that you wrote this personal message to everybody who kind of pre-ordered it, but it said, I pray sunny bears fruit in your life, and it made me think about the allegory that you use with the sun. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, bearing fruit, right? So what is the purpose of the sun? It's like light, right? Um, but also producing the conditions for us to grow. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, even though we kind of already talked about chasing the sun, for me, how I internalize it is chasing fulfillment. You know what I'm saying? Chasing the light at the end of it all. Or chasing yeah. the resources and the situation, environment that I need to be in in order to grow. So, I mean, I think sunny for me, again, was like... It was an exercise in personal healing. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's the fruit that writing this book, like, bore for me in my life. And, you know, there's obviously more fruit now in other people's hands and, like, seeing the response. And um, there's... I've just been, like, overwhelmed um, by it. But, like, I think for me in writing it, and you can obviously interpret it how you want it, but, like, when I say I hope that sunny bears fruit in your life, like, yes, like, I hope you chase the sun and you find whatever that means for you. But I also, like hope that Sunny is healing for whoever whoever um, reads it, you know, because I think we've all been through ins and outs and ups and downs of twists and turns of life and love, and so I hope that, like, me sharing mine is healing for other people in the same way that it was healing for me to write it. So, what I dissected from reading through all the poems is, you know, and this is a meta question, but just, like, the writing rhythm in, in real time, like, what is your, your uh, routine? So, like, you like to write before the sun comes up, mm. right? And obviously, we just learned that you like to have music on in the background. So, um, you were writing these poems in real time as you were living through some of these events. And then some of the poems were written in retrospect. Yeah. Um, so, it's a mix. Some of them I have written... Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. So, like, even the ones that were originally on the rain, I wrote as I was going through whatever I was going through. And then I put them in here in no particular order. There's no particular order to Sunny. You right. can read it however you want to. Um, and it's sort of just stream of consciousness. And I just folded stuff in literally as it came to me. I didn't rearrange anything. Um, and uh, I don't, it's like, I write to probably one or two of the same playlists. Um, they're on they're on my Apple Music profile if you wanna you know follow follow we'll throw that in the description. <laughs> um, that I was listening to when I was writing this. Yeah. Uh, when you see love by Dom Kennedy, on my mind by George Smith, um, Tyrant by Kali Uchis, lots of Daniel Caesar, um, Luther Vandross. I've recently gotten into Jacob Banks. Um, lots like stuff. Uh, um, um, fuck, Frank Ocean. Um, yeah, Gordon, ba Gordon Banks. Lots of, lots of sort of alternative R and B. Yeah, he's cool. It's like, I, it's like I fuck with one of his songs. Like for writing one of his songs in general, more than that, but for writing one of his songs. Um. Oh, but was okay. Yeah. So I mean, I am really weird. <laughs> in that I will write whenever something comes so I don't necessarily like there are things that I can do to set myself down and get in a routine um like I can sit down in my room and I usually do my work in my bed so I can sit in my bed and get out my and I I hand wrote the book before I type it so when I write in um uh, moleskins 
only. So I guess this is sort of a weird routine. So I write in my moleskins. I hand wrote it. Um, but it wasn't at any set time of day or any set whatever. Like it was like whenever it um, came. And usually I was like writing poems after I was journaling or praying or like crying or just thinking about stuff. Um, but like if I got an idea for a poem, I would pull out my phone right now and write it. Like my notes app is full of sh- like there's shit in my notes app that's that there's shit in my notes app that is in the book. Okay. Um, so I have been at parties before, out on dates. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm not being rude, but I have to get this down. Um, and we're like, okay, you're like, people, they're probably think like, I'm crazy, but I'm like, that's sort of my process. Like, whenever it comes, I will take it. And um, in, in the book, Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert, who I would consider like my personal guru, she did Eat, Pray, Love. Um, she talks about how she knew of this poet who sort of like described her writing process as like words, like moving through her. And I sort of feel the same way. It's like they come and my job is to try to like reel an ideal in, reel a sentence in, reel a paragraph, read a like Everything doesn't come to me in one foul swoop. You know, I have sentences in there that like I wrote months or years ago that didn't fit with what like it ended up being until XYZ happened in my life or until yeah. I was in XYZ just to write it so and making so, an album almost. yeah story yeah like, and so it all together when, yeah. when the time is right as opposed to just putting it out there and it's just like what is this nonsense you yeah. know what I mean um, you brought up a good point something that I can relate to um, so I'm, I'm embracing and claiming being a writer yes finally now I just need to be more consistent but you said that you usually write when the mood hits you. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I write. I've tried to really do this daily writing thing, and I'll admit I, I'm, I'm 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 a little lazy with it because I will only really write. But like, I think that you also after. have to give yourself more credit because you're like writing all the time like I used to think oh I didn't write in my journal today or I didn't write down any ideas today but like I tweeted a whole bunch of shit I'd be tweeting out poems or tweeting out prose or whatever like that counts and um a friend Joelle Daniels who wrote a I, I, great I don't, book I don't count my tweets as any type of <laughs> I have a question on it's, it. It's, it's a lot of shit talking. <laughs> I, I tried to go make some books, but a friend, um, Joel Daniels, he wrote a book, a book about things I would tell my daughter, and he's sort of the first person who like hit me to that concept. Like we're as writers, you know, we're writing all the time, even if it's not sort of in the more like prescribed ways that like we think that we think that writing should be or we think that writing is. Um, and I also like so sunny, very different process from like the rain. Like I can sort of I can sit down and make myself write an article for the rain in a way that I couldn't sit down and force myself to like write a book you know if something happens if I want to if I want to write about Kanye I can sit down and write about that if I want to write about spring fashion trends I can sit down and like do the research and write that and that's a much easier process for me to get into with that introspective right right the yeah. Me yeah. Because even like you referenced the newsletter, that that I didn't do that in April, not because I um, didn't want to. It was like I was too busy, and maybe I didn't have anything to say. But like, so I do in the newsletter guidance guidelines. There was there. I was supposed to be two a month. There wasn't one for April. Yeah. What was the backlash to that? Did, did people no? Like, Where is that? No. That. I mean, I think that like <laughs> my my um community both on and offline is hilarious because they will tell me exactly what they want from me which is great and like super comfortable 
um, which makes me really happy. But they're also like very understanding of you know life. Like right. life happens. Yeah, I said I was gonna give you, and I didn't. Okay, I'm back now. Like whatever. Um, so it's it's a it's a mix of the two. And my, my my writing process looks so different for different things. Like an academic paper, I can sit down and make myself do that in a different way than I can sit down and write a book or then I can sit down and like write for the rain. So I'm a, I, I would consider myself a writer across different mediums and now I've published on all these different platforms, academic journals, the book, the blog, the media company. Um, and so my process looks different for all that. But for Sunny, it was very, very random, very emotional. I was triggering myself writing. I triggered myself reading it. Like, yeah. No, you got, you got some good stuff in there. I'm a, I'm probably read through that whole thing in one night. You mentioned Twitter being like, all right, we're constantly writing and putting out content anyway, written content. Do you feel Twitter, like. Twitter, Instagram captions, yeah. Right, like you do all for I, I have started captions. doing Insta essays, um, which I haven't done one in. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, you know. I, you I know get in this routine of daily and then I fall off because like, I don't have something to say or I'm having trouble formulating or articulating yeah. what I want to say. It's like it's, it's in my brain. It's just like, but I don't want to just put out something just because I started on this rhythm. Yeah. And now maybe people are expecting it. There's definitely you have definitely have to balance that because yeah. you don't ever want to be putting out content to put out content. But in this age of you know social media and algorithms and whatever else, like to a certain extent, you have to post a certain amount to stay relevant. It's a whole. That's what's like. What does relevancy even mean? And should we be striving for that? You know, there's there are lots of I do this to myself all the time um, so there are lots of different yeah no there are lots of different if I could not be on social media and I mean in theory I can not be on social media but I, I would be but then like how would I have a digital media company if I'm not you know so it's, it's, a, it's a necessary part of your, your work in this day and age yeah it's a, it's a two edged sword yeah do you feel like poetry and arts similar to, or crafts similar to poetry, have been cannibalized in some sense by the advent of social media? You know what I mean? Like, because I feel like there, there's sometimes I see tweets and I'm like, that's extremely poetic, even though it wasn't intended to necessarily be so. But this book was very refreshing to me because I don't often see that much about poetry being traversed throughout my timeline mm-hmm. until I came across your book. So obviously you feel a certain way about poetry because you actually published it. But in terms of the demand for the art, what have you seen? Um, I think like social media, both Twitter and Instagram have sort of, in a lot of ways, um, reinvigorated like poetry, you know? Because you can be an Instagram poet and like do that and reach lots, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands of people without ever, you know, physically creating a book. So you're saying kind of repurposed. Yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, I don't, I don't have a sort of judgment call on it, but I think um, it opened up doors and spaces for people who might not have had access to poetry, yeah. both in the reading it and in the writing of it, right, right, right. to have a way to engage. And another thing, just on a business and kind of manufacturing side, you've produced a product. You know yeah. Like you've put out a physical product in a world where everybody has you know, a blog posts, newsletters, you do that as well. So what kind of drove you to have, I, you know, I don't want to just put out an e-book, I want to put out a physical book that people can touch, 
What was like the impetus? Um, so I've always loved to read, but I've never liked to read on like a Kindle or an iPad or like I want to hold the book. Hey. And I feel like for poetry particularly, like I I want to like I want to I want to hold that. I want to feel it. I want to be able to fold it and write in it and like leave myself notes in the margins and like highlights and you know write. And like I think there's just something special that comes from being able to. Like I said, Sunny is the physical manifestation of my heart for the past two years. And there's something, I think, both beautiful and obviously poetic in, like, being able to say, hey, like, here, have my heart. And, like, you know, take it and learn from it and do with it what you will with it in a way that's, like, you know, tangible. Yeah. Versus, you know, something that lives only online. And you use, like, a lot of, like, justification. So, like, in certain parts you'll have, like, uh, a line right justified on the page. Like, what was your thinking? Some things will be bold font. Some things yeah. will be italicized. And, you know, it definitely adds character and, and more personality and, and animation to the text. But, like, you know, what was the driving motivation behind that? Just what was going on in your head? Um, some stuff is about locating the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, the way we were, which is a poem in the book. Um, it's on page yeah tip for tat also it's on page 20 you do strike throughs and stuff uh yeah that's um confident I think um but like in the way we were it says I think the last time I fully relaxed with a man was you the you there was the way we were before you broke my heart the me I was before I learned forever don't last always always us together was safe until it us together was safe until it wasn't you were home until you weren't I used to wear my heart on my sleeve can't find her anymore though and then right just to hide us from the metro I wrote that on the metro and so it's it's like locating locating the like a distance but also context perhaps yeah yeah and like some of them say like from the intestines so like I was cr- like yeah, I was yeah. crying and like very upset when I wrote it and so like providing extra sort of like context um to readers and like locating things um or like the strike through is like no, we're not doing that no more. We're going to do what's in, like, the actual right. text. And bold shit is, like, my guy. Like yeah. You, you, you bringing this up and just describing it, just the, you using, like, italicizing and captain bold um, strike throughs. It makes me think about a, um, an art exhibit I saw at the um, Cleveland Museum of Art last spring um, on all of, all these letters from John Michelle Basquiat. And he was using similar things like strikethroughs yeah. and whatnot to bring attention to specific. Not necessarily because he wasn't feeling it, but he wanted you to pay more yeah. attention to that. And so he had to use something to grab yeah. people's attention, even whether or not he even thought that these letters would be displayed in an art museum right. years after his death. Right. You know? sure. Yes. Doer, not a dreamer. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's calling your attention to it. It's keeping you interested in reading, you know, a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the title, it's funny because someone said, how do I know what the title is? Or I can't tell the title. And I'm like, part of that is sort of the point. Like yeah. they're bigger and they have periods after them. But like in a lot of ways, the titles, like they're titles, but they're also a part of the poem. Okay. So I didn't want them to be too sort of drawing or different on the page because the title for this work should flow into like whatever what whatever you're reading okay so I thought it was like a lot of like dope lines within your poems could be like actual bars you know what I'm saying like in, in the verse but like one one that kind of just like I actually posted on my IG it said um, from the poem uh, Red Velvet 
I want a love that gives. It's okay if it's a little rough around the edges. They make knives for that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, like, just the wit behind that, the kind of, like, the matter-of-fact type shit. Yeah. Tone it. It's just fire. But, like, I agree. Red Velvet is one of my favorite really? ones in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I read the shit. Like, you should put this, um, all of this on Genius. Mm. The, like, an audio book or something? No, no, no. Uh, you can put, like, there's the actual books. On Genius. Like, okay. I, and I learned that because I was looking for some lyrics and I saw some excerpts from like The Great Gatsby and all these other yeah. books. So you should put this on Genius. I'll look into that. Thank yeah. you. They make live, they make knives for that. So like, I feel like in our generation, like, and in 2018, like, love and relationships are inherently rough because we're inundated with so much stimuli from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the world is like open to us more so than our, you know, our grandparents and our parents. Like, yeah, I know in the book you also talk about a lot of advice given to you from like your grandma and whatnot. But like, are you able to? Of course you are. But like, how do you take in input from those who came before you and, and elders, but also kind of translate it into how relationships are in 2018? They didn't have Tinder. Yeah. You know like, um. Right? I think um, it's just adapting things to the times um, as best as I can and trying to like make what they're saying make sense in my day and age. And I also will just this is what I'm dealing with. How how the fuck do I do this, Dad? Yeah. Like this is what this is maybe not, you know, in that language, yeah. but like this is what's going on. Please help me. Right, right, right. Um and just like having those sort of real conversations with people and not being afraid to sort of lay that out there. And it's funny that you reference like sort of this grass being green on the other side because there's a poem or a line in here that says, you know, I hope your soil turns green again. Yeah. And that's on 19 and like that's that's sort of about that. Um and it's funny, so I can tell you the story behind Red Velvet if you want me to. Um, but it's one of my favorite poems. And so if you know me or you follow me, um, you know that I always make Red Velvet cake. Um, when really? I go, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're now officially my favorite person. I make phenomenal Red Velvet you're, cake. You're, I don't even eat cake, but if you want me to eat some cake, make Red Velvet, I'm going to eat that cake. Phenomenal <laughs> Red Velvet cake. It's a family recipe from like my grandmother. Like oh, we oh, haven't, great. we don't, we don't share it. That's cool. And so, I don't know how, you, how the magic happens. Just make it happen. <laughs> I was home in Michigan over Christmas break last this last past December, and I was making Red Velvet cakes yeah. for Christmas dinner for people. And I was either, I think I was either getting out of or still texting or in some way still involved with the person that some of the book is about and there's a situation shit by this point yeah yeah it all, they, you know they always are and but like so baking for me is very spiritual I used to do it with my grandmother she taught me how to just be in a kitchen how to bake and so when I go home I always bake both because like we need to give people cakes but also because it's it's almost like a form of communion with me and so I was like baking and hoping that like an answer or some sort of like piece or just some sort of something would come to me and this is what came and so like there's a lot in here that literally is like baking like I want to love that gives releases like cake leaving metal pan when you take the cake you know you put a knife you put you flip it over to pop it out they make knives for that it's okay if it's a little rough around the edge they make knives for that taking the knife around the edge like popping popping the cake up um double entendre double entendre uh 
mixed and mingled, able-bodied, rotund. That that gets into wine, but like mixed and mingled, mixing the cake. Layered deep, three layers, like covered, recovered, covering, like there's icing. Um, I want a love that gives Hannah for reception where you'll be there. And then so the location for this one is from the small of back, aching feet, tired eyes and spatula, mixing bowl turning. Because I literally wrote it like after finishing making two or three cakes. And that's that's how I felt that's where it came from. And that's what, you know, all of the sort of so like yes, it is about all the things that you said it is or that you get from it, but it's also literally like come from me like baking a cake. Like I noticed when you talked about like seasonal things like spring and fall, like you would use fall as in, in the verb sense as well. You mm-hmm. use spring in the in the verb sense, you know. In terms Shout out of to my high school English teacher. <laughs> because maybe you just don't read enough poetry. You know, it's like yo, this like is shout out, that's shout out to her. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I had her for multiple years. She gave me great feedback on all of my writing. Um, she taught me AP Lit. Like she was, just, she was fantastic. And we did poetry units. I don't even know if I liked. I don't even know if I like liked it then. Okay. Um, but like to have, you know poetry book of my own now like shout out shout out to her something something i definitely want to say is that i have a great admiration i don't say this often enough and i know millennials get a lot of flack um i'm you know on the cusp of that xy um well i know a lot of i know millennials get a lot of flack but i have a great respect admiration for millennials and just y'all y'all fearlessness and expression you know whatever that expression may be you know whether it's through you know writing, whether it's through how you uh, how you yeah. present, whether it's who you're dating, whatever, you know, I mean, I, a lot of that, you know, for previous generations, we, we would have got laughed off the block. So yeah. I have, like I said, I have a really great admiration and respect for that fearlessness, that um, an expression that millennials possess. I don't, I don't even know that I wasn't afraid. I think I just did it anyway. Because there is like spring. Yeah. That poem that you referenced, yeah. I read that shit, and I'm like, yo, why the fuck did I ever feel that way about someone? That is so embarrassing. I can't believe yes. I put that on the internet and I put it in a book. Like, like there's some stuff in here that like what, makes me cringe. That same question to ourselves because we was like, man, we really, we were right there with with that. Yeah. But it's also like I was able to empathize. Yeah. And, in her shoes, you know what I'm saying? As a straight black man, I'm like, damn, yeah, I've been through heartaches, I've been through being disappointed, I've been let down. We've been on both sides. Yeah, but the, you know, the poetry or the words that I've come across you know, prior to some of these, you know, this work of art just doesn't quite, it has too much of a little bit, you know, that pride still embedded in it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not prideful and maybe I should be but I'm not prideful in loving relationships so I'm never afraid to like be the person who like reaches out or double texts or like calls right. if I want to talk to you or writes a whole fucking like and it says so it says in the introduction that's me if I especially which is funny because when I'm not when I'm not feeling nobody you know I'm pretty private I'm not the most emotionally expressive person yeah I really really like you you know, and not some stalker, not some stalkers creep. Oh yeah, way. no, I'm not. A, I'm but, not a creep. But I'm gonna let you know, like I'm feeling you. You know what I mean? And like, please do not be afraid of that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not saying let's get married today or tomorrow or something like that. In the same vein as the men are trash. How should men, in your opinion, approach a 
woman, even if it's some high-level things that she want to give off. It's like, even from the jump, in terms of the first initial interactions, niggas drop the ball. <laughs> so... All right, everybody, tune in. Listen, listen that's what I'm up. saying. Let's listen, listen up. That's why. What can... Don't tell us to smile. Or anything like that. Like, any young, of any of those. I know, I know that. Younger, don't tell y'all to smile. Younger, don't touch y'all. Don't yeah. Younger guys tell women to smile. Yeah. I, mean, I hear that from older guys. Like, guys older yeah. than me tell them to smile. Smile, smile, smile. Yeah. <laughs> you too pretty to be frowning like that. Yes. Yeah. I think, like, I think for me... The, the, the first impressions or interactions that have stuck with me even if we didn't go anywhere even if we never went past anywhere it was like just always being approached like with genuineness and respect and I could just start with hot, like hi that's really all the hi you look really nice today or hi you know I read your book and I hi I and just let the conversation go from there because if I want to talk to you back it like I will um but I, and I also think like I tweeted this the other day I said the day that I meet a man who does not commodify um, my attributes is the day that I will be off the market so like I think also like giving women just the chance like the chance to just be like I don't want to have to stimulate your intellect or like you know make you feel whatever way or be your motivation like do that shit for yourself like I'm not um I'm not a good or a service to like take in. I'm, I'm like I'm a person, and if if you start from there and just like with a genuine intention, like I just want to get to know her and learn about her, and not because you know she's smart or she or she can do this or she can whatever else. Like I think that's for me would be the best way to like approach me and start and start something with me. I mean, I would even say I mean something that I think more men need to get in their brains is just approaching a woman with positive intent without the expectation of a guarantee. Right, yeah, you know and it's I mean? like and I don't and I don't have to engage with you. And you can you can like it can it should and can be enough for you to say you look really great today. Hi, I'm Geronimo. You know, super nice to meet you. I would love to, whatever, whatever. So, but if I say no and I don't want to talk back, cool. Like, at least you, you, you put that. You had a good day. It was good talking. Right. And it, and it should be okay for it just to end there. Um, that would be my sort of response to that question. All right. Um, we've been going pretty long, but I have one more question. Okay. I, and I got one more after you before we get okay. into random aside. All right. I'll wrap oh, it up. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. All right. Um, what the... Souvenirs is one yes. of my favorite ones too. And you ended it, I believe. No, you didn't. But you said I keep people even after they have gone, mm-hmm. probably because it is I who wants to be kept. Yes. But specifically focusing on the first part, I keep people even after they have gone. Like, how do you? What, what's, what's, what's your interpretation? And I interpret that. I interpret that as. Even all the ex-girlfriends that I've had, like, I have lessons learned and experiences that I will never be able to forget that have shaped my trajectory and interactions with women before. And that's how I internalized it. What was the original? Um, so Souvenirs is about a friendship that ended and a relationship that I think I wrote that either right before or shortly after being heartbroken last year. Okay. But like, so, this, so these poems are not just about one guy who fucked up or the kids. Uh, <laughs> yes and no. No. Well, no, they're not. Okay. They're not. 
because um, like I said, it's six years, but really like two years. So there's there's multiple men, multiple friends, multiple just like life happening. Um, there's a certain amount that are concentrated towards one person, but the book is spans way more than just that. Um, and so souvenirs. I keep people even after they have gone is it's really hard for me to let go and I don't really like change and I'm and I'm a person who like I tell my friends all the time I don't have that many like that many people that I would tell are like my close close really good like you could call me at 3am and I would answer the phone with friends um, but the people that I do have I have very much decided, like, we, we will be friends. I will be at your children's graduations. You will be my children's godparent. Like, I'm not going anywhere. So, like, don't fucking play with me. And so, this is, this, in this case, one of those relationships ended. And I never really thought that it would. And it was really, really hard for me to let that go, to let her go. And so, I sort of kept her in my spirit and on my mind and in my prayers. And in you know, just, I kept her, even after she had already gone and it took a while for me to realize that like you know and to the second part like I keep people even after they have gone probably because it's I who wants to be kept like probably because I never wanted you to leave like I wanted you to keep me too quick one you said there's no like chronological order to yeah. this was this inspired in the title Sunny inspired by 500 Days of Summer? No. Okay. There we go. So, I'm going to take this is completely unrelated to Sunny. I can um, tell you what it's inspired by, but no, it wasn't 500 we'll Days of Summer. We'll say that to the okay. um, Alright, so, boom. Earlier, I know I said something about, um, you know, pursuing being prepared versus ready to pursue ambitions, and regardless if that's something entrepreneurial or, you know, you're working your way through the ranks in a, in a company and you're like, yeah, you know, no um, nine to five shaming. So this made me think about another way, something else that people have been shitting on. Good reason to a degree. Um... So you both, so you earned a graduate degree. Yes. And started a business. Yes. Is, business is. Yes. Before the age of 25. Yes. People today shit on college education because the return on investment isn't adding up after graduation like it did, say, prior to 2008, right? Okay. While glorifying the freedom of entrepreneurship, not yeah. understanding the daily challenges entrepreneurs experience. Just knowing that and seeing that, hearing that in the conversation quite often, what do you think that says about the changing expectation of adulthood, you know? I mean, I think that, like, millennials don't have access to the things that our parents did at our age. Like, my parents weren't married at this age, but, like, they, might, you know, had, like, stable, like a more stable life than I do. Um, and so I think people are turning to... After the after the um, economy collapse, people are turning to semblances of their own freedom and control, yeah. and that's that feels like entrepreneurship. But like everyone is a mini entrepreneur, and that's fine. And also, no, you, couldn't, you couldn't you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't you, you couldn't have entrepreneurs or businesses if you didn't have employees. Right. So like that that's my answer to that. It's people searching for some semblance of control that they don't feel like they have. Um, while also maybe pursuing things that aren't necessarily like truly meant for them. Real shit. I like that. Now, the moment we've been waiting for. So how does this work? You just rapid fire and I rapid, respond? I, that's it. Rapid okay. fire. Everybody finishes all 30. 
So that means I'm setting. I'm, that means what, what time is it? It's 7:25. Okay, we're gonna have this done. Ten minutes or less. Okay. All right. Ready? Boom. What's the flyest thing you've ever done? Uh, go to England. Okay. What is the name of the first person you kissed? Rico. Rico. Okay. <laughs> you know a question that I, that makes that maybe you don't. Okay. Knowing that what we know now and hearing what we've heard and seeing what we've seen, describe life with Kanye West as president. Even worse than with Trump. Okay. He still got time to, you know, dial back and learn, relearn some things. Kanye is gone. Kanye is gone. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving up on the brother just yet. Okay. All right. Name one thing you changed about yourself. Nothing. Yeah. If you had to go on a 30-day culture fast, which of these could you give up? Travel, art, fashion, being a foodie, or leisure reading? Being a foodie. I could eat hamburgers and french fries every day and be happy. Okay. You just had a shitty day. What's your comfort food or vice of choice? Uh, mac and cheese or Chinese food. Okay. And a good glass of wine. Okay. I like you mentioned Chinese food. That's actually one of my favorite cuisine options. Um, what invention or innovation will officially mark the end of the world? When pigs fly. I don't know. When, it, when, when they create a way for pigs to fly. I don't know. Okay. That's what came into my head. Okay. Fair. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> Do you believe the producers of Family Feud secretly want to start a race war? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because they do. They absolutely do. Absolutely. Pick a superhero. Batman. My mom likes Batman. Okay. That's my guy. But, uh, but I mean, he's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have said I should have said Black Panther, but. Um. How will the country change once marijuana is fully legalized? Hopefully, they will get all the people in jail who were put in jail for it out. And then that will hopefully boost the economy and give people their lives back. Yes. Well, they retroactively did that. Where? Seattle. Seattle, yes. Okay. How, how old were you when you realized Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy weren't real? Eight, nine. Okay. Name three places in your city to take a first-time visitor. My city being like Ypsilanti? Or like, what city are we... Um, three places where you would like to take a first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the if you can't think of three places in in, the, in Ypsilanti, pick another place. Uh, the University of Michigan, Diag. Okay. Um, there's this like down home ice cream spot. I can't. It's also in Ann Arbor. Um, and I would probably take some of my elementary school just okay. so they could see like where I sort of start, where I where I sort where of it started. All started. Okay. If you were diagnosed with a rare disease and told the only way to live was to exercise five days a week, how long would you last? I would I would live. You live? Okay. Last couple people said they would live. That's good. Day parties or nightlife? Day. Day parties? Yeah, because with a day party you can drink and go home and go to sleep. Or like, you know, yeah. go so home wake up at and like eleven AM and be wide awake. Yeah, you know? They night parties sort of ruin ruin your weekend because they take your whole next day. Day parties you can recover. See, if you if you a real club person, a real nightclub, that 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 late night ain't going. To I you also like. Do you like lounges? At day parties or at night? Well, day parties. It depends upon where I am and who I'm with. Clubs and lounges, but like I feel like for night I have to get so much more dressed up. A day party, I can wear bands or like some sneakers or whatever, and like be way more chill. Okay. 
Walker. Shout out to Views from the Grits. That was fire. Yes. Yes. I'm really, I'm very sad that I missed it. I will be at the next one. I saw you last night, man. So we get it. We'll be at the next one. Thank you for the tickets, <laughs> I, I will make an effort <laughs> to be at the next one. Them, sir. Describe your first air travel experience. I can't remember it. It was when I was like five or six. I was okay. with my parents. Okay. What gives you power? Uh, using my gifts in service of my vision. Shout out to Audrey Lord. Shout out Audrey Lord. Name the last amazing album you heard. Ooh. Invasion of Privacy. Okay. Cardi B. Yeah. Cardi A. Cardi. All right. Name the best chicken spot anywhere. I don't know. Um. Well, my grandmother passed away, but I would say like her kitchen. Okay. That's not. It's not a technical spot, but like. Y'all still got the recipe with me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, know, I feel oh, like nobody I, can do a fight like her. I feel like I'm not answering these questions well. This is this is no, really no, stressful. No, no, no. There's no right or wrong way to answer. Oh, but you know what? Also, um, the little chicken corner stores in New York City. It's not oh. Golden Crust. It's um, because no, Golden like, Crust is the Jamaican one. Crown Fries. It's about Crown. That's Kennedy, pretty good. Yeah. Lincoln. That shit. I, it I, hits I, after I, after a day party after before a drunken night. That I can always do that. I got twenty four hour Jamaican spot in Harlem. Yo. So wait, there is a there is a twenty four hour fish spot in Uptown. It's called El Puerto. That shit is it's on, fire. It's on two fifth across the street from Grand yes. Projects. Yes. yes, I know. I know that fire. place very well. Twenty four hour seafood spot is a spot. Fire. They got a velvet rope off the late night yes. with a security guard. Yes. And it gets, it's it, serious. And it, if you go late, it gets, like I said, it's across the street from Grant Projects. Okay. It, it can get pretty intense, but, and they don't really, they're not that helpful. So you got to kind of go with somebody that knows how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you go in there just by yourself, they're going to be like, what you, you want? You what, de- what, are you yeah. do, what are you doing? Because they have it all out fresh, and you yeah. pick it, and then they cook it, and uh, like, yes. but like, so if you don't know what you're doing, shout out El Puerto. That's where you go. Yes. When you can't get up the city island. That's yes. another topic for another day, though. How has your upbringing informed your life choices, good and bad? Um, I think I'm everything because of my parents and my village. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything that I do without them. Okay. But they also, sorry, I will say, like they did a really good job of giving me freedom. So I, yeah. I think I. I always know that I can come home no matter what I do. Okay. Name the one best and one worst character trait of your generation. Everyone, so the worst is we all want to act like we don't care, but we do care. Mm-hmm. The best is I think we are claiming what we deserve. Okay. Or at least making an effort to. Okay. You're on an episode of Shark Tank. What are you pitching and wearing? Um, I would probably be pitching the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and what am I wearing? Hopefully some fantastic, you know, designer dress. I don't know. Some red bottoms. You're not that comfortable. But you know, it's it's really about the aesthetics. So. I know, I know, I know. Have you ever sold a Rubik's cube? Yes. All right, you are the second smart person to come on the show. <laughs> How many tries did it take you to get it? To get it? Um, like five or six. Five or six. Okay. All right. No limit or cash money. Why? Is this a new question? This is a new question. Why I, you... I switched it all up. Oh shit! Why I are you doing the, I, this? I figured the last question Why are you was doing getting this? played. Okay, so okay. cash money. Cash money. Cash money. I'm a no limit guy. I'm, I'm a little bit. Just side no limit. In terms of the actual projects, I would say cash money. Yeah, I would agree. Have you ever suffered from FOMO, fear of missing out? Yes. Okay. All right. If you had 24 hours to live, just think. Where would you go? What would you do? Who would you screw? Who would you want to notify? Or would you deny that you're about to die? 
I want me to answer all of those? Answer as many as you can. Where would I go? Either London or Cape Town. Um, who would I tell? My parents, um, Shakira, Brandon, Carlton, Dom, Ashley, Des, and Michael. Um, what'd you say? Who would I screw? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> but they know who they are. Um, if y'all listening, she talk about you, whoever you are. <laughs> and what was the, what was the other one? Uh... Notified. Well, well, would you deny that you're about to die? No. Okay. Independence or integrity? Both. You have to pick one. Inde- independence or integrity? Yes. I, I, I plead my Fifth Amendment right. Okay. All right. I'll do that. Be rich where you are or live wherever you want or your current income? Live wherever I want my current income. Craziest Uber or Lyft experience? Mm. Anytime I'm going to the club with my friends from school, okay. my friends from college, and we're drunk. You can use only one social media platform for the rest of your life. Twitter. Okay. What does living my best life mean to you? Chasing the sun. All right. You did it. One minute to spare. <laughs> I was trying to slow it down, too. That was hard. <laughs> Trying to slow it down too. So, all right, yeah. So, wrap it up. So, what does Sunny and what is what was the meaning behind all of this? So, the question that I was going to ask you before. Okay, so in the dedication to the book, it says Sunny because it is the prelude to what was our foreplay. Foreplay is a song by Jalen Fonsroy, and Sunny is the sample that he used. Um, and it's I didn't have a title when I was working on it. And some of the person who some of the stuff is about sent me the, the, the Sunny song, and I was like, oh, that's the title, and that makes sense because it relates to everything. All right, well, give a quick pitch to the book, tell where they can buy it. You, know, you can get the book at gabriellehickman.com slash sunny or on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Gab Gotti. You can follow The Rain XY at The Rain XY, but it's rain like a crown, not rain like the weather. So make sure you got that. Um, and I'll have some new projects and ventures coming soon. Um, so just stay tuned. All right, y'all, that's a wrap.